All right, thank you, Katie. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. Excited to be here. And yeah, it's, it's fun. As, as Katie mentioned, there's so many good things happening uh, this year that we get to celebrate. Um, I'm excited to announce that tomorrow the, uh, the renovations on the building start. So the construction team's going to come. And if you drive by, you may see like caution tape and scaffolding. But there's, there's a lot of repairs that are going to happen. So I'm excited that we get to jump in and, and fix this place up. And then after that, the painting comes. And we get to have a, a fresh new look to go with the fresh sign that got built. So um, again, thank you to all of you guys who make that possible with, with your faithful generosity. I'm thankful for God for what he's doing here. And there's just a lot we get to really be excited about. So I'm excited to be here. And and keep talking about what we're doing and how God is moving. Uh, today we're going to finish up our series on growth. And we spent a number of weeks now talking about how we can grow in, in different ways. Uh, last week specifically, how do we grow in the midst of the busyness? And I don't know about you, but I actually took a chunk of time this last week to evaluate my busyness. And hopefully this last week, um, you didn't just walk away thinking, what do you do in church today? I saw baby Jeff on the screens, and that was your only takeaway. It, um, you know, it, it, some people did tell me that it was a nightmare, but, but it was a fun one, right? So as we left last week, we talked about the busy. How do we focus on God amidst the busyness? But um, I got to really examine my life and try and find the little solitudes in my life. You know, that was one of the challenges, that try and find some of those moments where maybe you're waiting in line for coffee and you think, I'm going to be in this line for just a couple minutes, but let me, instead of just sitting here or looking at social media while I'm waiting... Let me have a conversation with God, even just a real quick one, but finding the little moments in life that you can spend some solitude with God and letting that really start to shape and change your life. Maybe it's the 15 minutes before the kids get up where you're laying in bed awake or uh, you're, you're just driving down sitting in traffic. Don't close your eyes and have this if you're driving. That'd be a disaster. But you can still have a conversation with God with your eyes open. It's possible. Now, ultimately... As we finish this series, I want us to remember that growth is a healthy and natural product, right? A natural product of something that is doing what it was created to do. And the, the saying we've been saying every week is this. Healthy things grow. Growing things change. Change is difficult. Difficulties cause us to trust God. Trusting God calls us to obedience. Obeying God makes us healthy. And healthy things grow. I believe that when we're growing in a healthy way, that keeps us on track to the direction that God is taking us and moving with us. So as we dive in today, you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and you can also dog ear Revelation chapter 2. Now, it's funny, when I was getting this ready, um, Stephanie was asking me, so what are you going to be uh, talking on this week? And I said, I'm going to do a little bit in Ephesians, going to finish up our growth series and go into Revelation. And she goes, you're going to do what? Revelation? I was like, I know, it's scary, but it's going to be good, I promise. This is, this is going to be a, a, what, what I hope is fun and uplifting in a way for us to really, really, when we step out of here today, be inspired to really dive in and invest in our growth um, as a church community and as individuals. So as you're turning there, I'll tell you a story. I heard a story of a truck driver who was working in Arizona in the summer. I don't know if anyone here is from Arizona or been through Arizona, but I know that they would laugh at the 110-degree day we had. Right? A summer in Arizona, that's like consistent, that's just what they go through. But it was upwards of 130 degrees one day in Arizona. A truck driver realized as he was preparing to leave that his air conditioning wasn't working in his truck. He really needed to make a delivery, so he filled up his bucket with ice, sat on it, wrapped cold towels around his head, and started his drive. It worked for a while, but at one point in the drive, he passed out while behind the wheel. This truck went 10 miles through an open field at 60 miles an hour on cruise control until he finally ran into a ditch. He was helicoptered out where ultimately he was okay. 
Can you imagine being the farmer on the side of the road that day going, not even side of the road, you're in your field, and there goes a truck. Just driving through the field. Nowhere near the road anymore. 60 miles an hour through the open field. I can imagine them going, I don't see that every day. That's not normal, right? Someone's off track. Someone is not where they're supposed to be right now. It's easy for us to get off track in life, right? To, to be moments like we know we should be going one way, but something happens and we, and we start to veer a different direction. The Bible is packed with stories of people who consistently get off track. And when I read these, um, it actually inspires me because I get to see how they were off track, but how God helps them do a course correct and God does amazing things through their life. So it's not like that one off track moment defined their entire life and defining their entire ministry. God is able to say, let's go this way and they do incredible things. For example, Adam and Eve get off track with God and they get banished from the Garden of Eden. But Adam and Eve go on to have an incredible foundational story in scripture. All of civilization gets off track with God, and the earth gets flooded, but God saves one family, Noah's family. They're able to stay on track, and they spark the revitalization of earth in a new generation. Abraham gets off track with God, and he actually has a baby with his wife's maidservant instead of trusting God in that moment. Abraham, though, is able to get back on track, and he's called the father of our faith. Moses gets off track, and he's not allowed to lead the Israelites into the promised land. But the Israelites are able to get back on track and do incredible things going through Jericho with Joshua as their leader. The entire Old Testament is one incident after another where we see people consistently go off track and they get a course correct and God does amazing things through them and the people. As a matter of fact, you often find in scripture people spend a lot more time off track than they do on track. There's a lot more mess-ups than we may, we may think when we go through these stories. And you would think it would be different, right? When you get into the New Testament, you're like, all right, People have been off track for a long time. Jesus is now in the picture. There is no way you can get off track with Jesus standing right there. Well, guess what happens? They get off track with Jesus standing right there. They, they say some things where Jesus goes, no, we're going to do this instead. And, I mean, Peter gets out and starts swinging his sword. Jesus is like, stop it. We're not doing that right now. There's course correction even with Jesus present. And I don't want to be the, this to be a downer question, but something to just get us think. If we, if we think, why would we expect to be any different, though, if the great men and women of the Bible still got off track, why would we be any different? The truth is, a lot of times, we're not, right? We get off track. We get off track easily. We get off track multiple times a day sometimes, right? It happens. But you know, in Scripture, God says, do not be afraid, or the phrase, do not be afraid, is used 366 times. That's one for every day of the year, including leap year. It's there. Why so many times? And I think because so many times in our Christian life, we can get off track and then we can get afraid of what's going to happen after. We can get afraid of the consequences or afraid of what the course correct is going to look like, and that can really hinder maybe how we're going to move forward. But so many times we see in Scripture, through almost any situation you come across, do not be afraid. There's going to be many times in your life where you won't feel God's presence when you honestly think, man, I just don't feel like he's right here. And you have that feeling and you get a fear of disappointment, a fear of getting off track. It's really easy to get off track even when you have the best intentions. But we already know this. It's bigger than just a spiritual thing. Think, think of the, the actual physical things we go through, like maybe a New Year's resolution that, that we made this year. Is anybody here still going strong with their New Year's resolutions? Not one. All right. No, one. Yes, we got one. So most of us, though, didn't even hesitate to put your hands up, right? Are we still on track? It's like, nope, not even close. 
right? We, we can have the best intentions, but sometimes we mess up. Maybe you started a diet and stopped after two days, two weeks, two months. You were going strong and something happened. You haven't jumped back into it yet. Or uh, how many uh, recommitments you and your spouse maybe have made to regular date nights. We're going to make this a regular thing. And then you did it, and then it's been three or four weeks now, and it's not a regular thing anymore. You have the best intention, but sometimes you, you, know, you, you lose focus, you lose sight, and you kind of get off track. Now, just to make sure I'm not only, I'm not saying this to myself, but I've asked this question throughout the series, but let's dive into the nitty-gritty now, right? The nitty-gritty. Let's do some serious just self-checking as we evaluate this. How many of us have ever felt like we've gotten off track spiritually? Like you can just, I didn't want you to raise your hands, but you can. All right, sweet. Good. How many of us feel like, like a lot of us can, right? We feel like we, we kind of have that roller coaster of, I feel like I'm doing good. Not so good right now. Like we, we, we have those moments and seasons, right? We go through, we feel like we are rolling. Things are great. I'm, I'm reading, I'm studying. I just, I feel like I'm so in tune with God. But then life happens and we suddenly feel like we're, we're not in tune anymore. We, we feel like we dive into a spiritual funk, right? A spiritual funk. And I'm not talking about walking full on away from God, like saying, I abandon this, I'm out. But seriously, those seasons where you, you feel like, man, I just, I don't even know if I can go to church right now because I just don't feel good. I just don't feel right. And then that turns into not going to church for a long time and weeks and weeks and even months, in some cases years. And you're trying to figure out, how do I get out of this funk? But it feels like I'm just in this on a regular basis now. Or maybe you are going to church on a regular basis. You do, but you still go home feeling like, I don't know, I just... I just feel like I can't really grab onto where I was before. And you start comparing to where you were before to where you are now. I think one of the biggest examples that I see of this, uh, being a children's and youth pastor for so many years, we'd go to camp. And I loved kids camp and youth camp. I got my call to be a pastor at youth camp. And I can't speak highly enough about the life change that happens to kids and youth at camp. It's an amazing week. But so often, we'd get back from camp. And when you're some, at some point when you're away from the world, you're just with a group of hundreds of kids and you're spending multiple hours a day in worship and praise and just doing amazing fun things together. They get on a spiritual high and it's a great thing. And then you get thrown back into the world and you can see that start to diminish. And it's, it's not an intention thing. Like that's going, I'm going to go back into the world now and this is all, it was camp, it was fun, it's over. But it's just the series of life happens and priorities shift and they have best intentions, but you can start to go into this spiritual funk or this rut if you're not careful. We could have easily ended this, this whole series last week by saying, all right, guys, here we go. Solitude, submission, service, practice all three. You're going to grow and, and go out on that note. But I think it would be bad if we didn't talk about what happens if we start doing those things and then we kind of drop out of the honeymoon phase of it, right? Starting something new can be really, really fun and exciting, but that season doesn't always last forever. So what happens if we start to diminish a little bit? We start to feel like, you know, I started strong, but I'm not all the way there anymore. What I've learned from my own experiences and from listening to different colleagues and pastors and friends is that if you're inspired and you have a plan, sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes you really want someone to look up to. You want to have a partner with you, someone that you can come alongside with and say, let's do this together. Now, for example, if anyone played uh, football or sports growing up, there's this amazing thing in football, especially, I played this growing up, called halftime. You get to sit down, and if you're doing good, your coach is rallying with you and like, all right, let's keep it up. And if you're getting your butts kicked, it can be one of the most crazy halftimes of five minutes of your life with this coach riding you or inspiring you. A coach has an opportunity right there to do something crazy. A coach can give a pep talk and say, hit them hard. You've worked harder than they have. I've seen you train. You've got this. 
You can have someone come in and say, nobody pushes us in our house. Or we're coming to their house. Let's show them how we're going to take it over. You get a coach that just really gets you going. And you can leave the locker room after just getting totally blown out in the first half, ready to do some damage on the field. Your coach can just build you up. Now, the best coaches don't just have the inspiring words just for the sake of the words. They spend hours watching the game. They, they understand the opponent. They know the tendencies, so they're able to put together a plan so what they say actually has merit behind it. Now, in one of my favorite sports movies, Remember the Titans, Coach Boone is played by Denzel Washington. He's the first African-American head coach in his region. He gets thrown into the position not even looking for this spot. And it's when uh, African-American students and white students are first integrated together. So the movie is full of tension. Now, they're doing good, and they're winning. But there's a big political push to give the Caucasian coach, give the white coach his job back. So the refs get together and they decide they're going to throw the game to get the loss for the team, to get Coach Boone fired. Now, the officials are ganging up, the players are feeling beat, demoralized, and defeated. One of them even walks off the field because he cannot put up, he's just defeated emotionally with what's going on, and this happens. Go ahead and check this out. I love that scene. He gets there, and he gets his team so fired up to win. And I love that last line he says there, too. He says, line it up, gentlemen. Leave no doubt. Can't you see God looking at you guys saying, this, looking at us saying the same thing in our deepest moments where we're feeling down and defeated and maybe uninspired, where we get to look and we say, God, I can't. And he goes, did I ask for your excuse? I love that line, too. Petey's like, I can't do it. He says, I didn't ask for your excuse. Give me the effort. And then he goes, and the, he rallies the team, and they go, and, and I love it. I love it, and especially when he says, remember forever the night that they played the Titans. I like to be able to look at our times of, of doubt, our times of trials, whatever comes in our way, knowing that when we partner with God, we get to look at that and go, you remember the night you tried to come against me and my God. That's a great thing that we get to say to anything that comes our way. Now, in Ephesians chapters 1 through 5, we see a good example of something very similar to this play out. Now, I'm not going to stand here and read straight five chapters of Ephesians. You, you probably would go from, yeah, we watched a football clip to, oh man, he just stood there and read for a long time. But I'm going to talk a little bit about what's in these because I think it's very applicable to us today. Now, in these chapters, it's good for seeing Paul talks about ways to inspire people. He spends some time inspiring people to go forward with the trials that are about to go through in life and to stay motivated with what's about to come against them, especially when you feel like maybe the honeymoon phase is over for what you're going through spiritually. Now, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul puts, he reminds the young believers who they are in Christ. He says, this is who you are. It helps them get motivated and amped up so they can face the real trials that are going to come. And then later, he actually tells them about these trials that are going to come at him. But he reminds them, he says, you are chosen, you're adopted, you're redeemed, you're forgiven. You are God's masterpiece. And this is just a few of the things that he says in the first few chapters. If you're ever discouraged, seriously, Ephesians 1 through 3 incredible inspirational chapters to remind you of who God is for you and who you are to him. After the first three chapters comes two chapters of encouragement from Paul to these same young believers, and he gives them some clear ways. He says, now that you know who you are, here are some ways that you can actually grow and do these things. In Ephesians 1, 5, and 2, he says, be imitators of Christ. He says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Summarizing it, he says, be imitators of Christ. You know who you are. He was the example. Let's follow him. Let's be imitators of him. Then in Ephesians 5.16, he says this, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
I love that. Make most of every opportunity. There's a lot in days that are going to come at you. You won't have every opportunity to seize every day if you don't actually go and do it. Seize the opportunity. Seize your moment. Ephesians 5.16, he's talking to men here. He says, I'm sorry, 5.25, talking to men. He said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You want to grow spiritually, men? Love your wives. Be, be a good, godly example and love your wives the way Christ loved the church. And what's interesting is after Paul does this, he inspires them. He says, here's who you are in God. Here's some ways you can now do it. He then dives into spiritual warfare because he's very serious about these are some things that are going to come against you. Even though your identity is in Christ and you've been pumped up, you go through a great game plan. God's word tells you what to do. You need to be ready to know that the enemy does have tendencies and wants to derail you. Part of going in and past the honeymoon phase is identifying what these things can be, identifying what these lies can be and being prepared for it. Now, in battle, two armies clash against each other, right? And I like to think of you know, medieval or even scriptural battles. You have two armies battling against each other, and one would ultimately stand victorious. But all throughout scripture, and not just scripture, in history, you see very often the smaller army win the fight. Many, many stories of the smaller army winning. And how does this happen? number of ways. One, they knew who they were fighting. They studied their enemy. They knew its strengths. They knew its weaknesses, as well as their own strengths and their own weaknesses. When you know your enemy, you can be properly prepared to then face that enemy and come out victorious. Now, I tend not to over-spiritualize things, but I do believe in spiritual warfare that it is a real thing and really exists. And what I mean is this. If my car doesn't start tomorrow, I'm not the person that says, man, the devil is in my car. I am the person, you know, I'll look at it and go, actually, what happened is I haven't maintained my car. I don't know when I changed the oil last. That light's been blinking at me for months, and I ignored it, and now my car won't start. That's not the devil. That's on me, right? I did that to my car. But having said that, I do believe spiritual warfare exists, and that when my desire to grow closer to God grows stronger, I know that I'm not making the enemy happy. And that's okay with me, actually. If I can do something that's going to make him mad, sign me up. I'm in, Right? I don't want him to be happy with me. I want him to be ticked. Part of me wants to be in his crosshairs because I know I'm doing something right. I know I'm growing. I know I'm getting closer if he's getting angry. But it means if I'm willing to do that, I've got to be ready. I've got to know what's going to come at me so I can face it when it comes and I don't get overwhelmed. And I can rather say, just like the coach did, remember when you tried to come against me and my God? Remember that day? Didn't work out for you. Remember that because it will never happen. You will never overcome me. When God wants to build us up, the enemy wants to battle and wear us down. If you've just started the habit, maybe, of trying to read your Bible in the morning, know that the devil doesn't like that. And it would be really easy if we could just really visualize the devil. Like if you knew there's a pitchfork with horns walking by, all right, there he is. I can look at him now and pinpoint where he is in my life. That'd make it easier. But it doesn't always work that way. You know, it, it works in, in the subtle ways. You would know, if, if you'd know to him, it would be really easy. But the devil is subtle and deceiving. I want to spend some time today talking about four subtle ways that I really think the enemy can come against us and really try and demoralize us. But if we recognize these things, we can then say, hey, I can do this. I can do this, and I know that these are lies. I know that he's deceiving, and I don't have to buy into this garbage. I really don't. I get to go full force because I know who's on my side. Remember, the devil's a deceiver. He will try to convince you of reasons to not trust God, reasons that you're not worthy of it. And we're going to unpack some common myths 
Now, if you can see these for what they are and be prepared, we'll keep going strong. If you've been uh, following Christ for a while, you may be able to relate to some of these or maybe even all of these. If you haven't heard them before, that's great. Now you'll be able to recognize them when they come, but I think these are four very prominent ones that a lot of people will go through as they talk about growing and getting serious with their walk with God. One of them is, I've lost that loving feeling myth. Anybody just think of Top Gun right now? Mm Mm-hmm. I've lost that loving feeling. In Revelation chapter 2, John writes some pretty convicting words to the church in Ephesus. Revelation 2, 1 through 5 says this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but who are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now I think Ephesus right here, they're, they're in a point where they're feeling they're, they're not doing what God knows they can do. They're not doing what God has seen them do. And as Christ followers, I feel like we may come to times where we feel like we are not as close to God as we were before. Maybe we're not excited about waking up early to read. Or you honestly would rather check emails than than spend time in prayer. I think we all go through seasons where those things start to invade our thoughts. And sometimes when we do this, there can be that that convicting of that guilty feeling that comes along the way. And and you think even maybe, man, I've I've forsaken my first love. I'm I'm not feeling like I'm, I'm in tune with God the way I used to be. Or I don't have the same zeal that I had before. It's at this point, I think, where this myth starts to, to come in and the enemy starts to implant uh, lies. Shocking news, the devil lies. Make sure everybody knows that. The devil lies. And these are some lies that he'll say to you in these times. Maybe God isn't as close to you as before. Think of the lie there. Maybe God isn't as close to you as before. Maybe this whole Christian thing is not for you. Now, you know, you've tried it. Maybe it's not for you. Or a common one. If you can't get excited to spend time with God, then you shouldn't fake it. Just don't do it. These are lies. These are bad lies. None of these are true. What's interesting here is in this passage, in Revelation, John, when he wrote this, he uses the word love. The original translated word is agape, which is not a feeling love. The word agape, this is an all-encompassing love, a love that never stops, never ends. It encompasses every fiber of your being. So when he's saying, you just don't feel the way about the, say, about the God you used to, he's saying, you've stopped making these choices. You've stopped acting on this all-encompassing love. Embrace this love that God has for you because you have it for him. You've got this. It totally makes sense when you think about this in a marriage context, right? So I love my wife very much, but what if I stopped acting like it when I didn't feel like it? I don't think it would work well for me or her. It, it just it wouldn't work out. If I, if I decided today, you know what, I don't have the butterflies when I woke up this morning, which has never happened. Stephanie had butterflies every morning. But if I decided that morning, I just don't have those butterflies, so I'm not going to act like it. You know what? Can't do it today. It wouldn't work well. It wouldn't work well because love is more than just that feeling. It's that all-encompassing part of my life. It's the actions I'm taking into it. Now, luckily, Stephanie is an incredible woman, and she makes it really easy, but I can only imagine how hard I make it for her on a regular basis, right? When I make her priority, I see how our relationship thrives. Same concept when we talk about this all-encompassing agape love with God. When we make him the priority, see how much the relationship will thrive. God wants to do this with us. He wants our relationship to get really, really deep. 
So in the times where we don't feel super close or, or we're tempted to take a break from maybe some of the spiritual habits that we've learned or spiritual habits that you've, you've dove into, what you really need is the opposite. Spend more time in those habits. Spend more time growing those things. Don't diminish them. Enhance them. See how God responds. What I've found hundreds of times that if I can follow through in making God a priority, even when I don't feel like it, he shows up in the most powerful way. It's an amazing thing. So that myth, don't fall into I lost that loving feeling myth because it is so much more than a feeling. The second one is this, the spiritual comparison myth. You guys ever fall into the trap of comparing yourself to somebody else? I do. I do a lot. One of the primary ways we learn how to grow in our relationship with Christ, though, is through reading, through applying scripture, and looking up to other people. And there's a difference with looking up to someone and then comparing yourself to that person. Because I think sometimes we can fall into a comparison trap. And I think the problem with that when we compare is we start to let those lies come back in where we say, oh, you're not doing enough. I know you're giving it your all, but it's not enough. Look at what they're doing. Man, if you could only do what they're doing, then you'd grow stronger. Or maybe the, oh, you're, you're not as committed as, as Joe. Sorry if there's a Joe in here. I just threw that name out. You're just not as committed as him. Maybe if you'd only be more committed because you're not enough. Even though you're giving it your all, you start comparing yourself, saying, oh, if I just had this, if I just had that. And we fall into that comparison myth. The problem is God never created you to be great at everything. He created each and every one of you to excel and be uniquely gifted where he has called you to be gifted. Every one of us had different gifts. Nowhere does it say in the Bible that every one of you is going to have every single spiritual gift and you're going to be excellent at every single one of them. Every one of us has different things God's called us to excel in. And it gets a little out of hand when we start comparing ourselves to other people, even uh, throughout scripture or throughout history. For example, Martin Luther got up at 3 a.m. every single morning to pray. That does not mean you have to get up every single morning at 3 a.m. Now, it can be an inspiration but don't let it be something that you compare yourself to that totally beats you down. Maybe you start comparing yourself to someone like Billy Graham. Billy Graham, man, you know what? I just need to be able to work, work up the courage to stand in front of a crowd of 50,000 people and boldly share my faith. For some people, that is a crippling thought because God didn't design you to be that person. But you do have gifts God wants you to excel in. All of us are different. We can't get caught in the trap of comparing ourselves to so many people. We can be inspired but not compared to the point where it cripples you down. When we stop comparing ourselves to other people, then we're free to focus on the unique person God made you to be instead of feeling inadequate that you don't measure up. You get to say, God gets to say, you are adequate because I made you and I have a purpose for you. And through this, we get to excel in so many ways. In Ephesians 2.10, we are called a masterpiece. I love this. You are a masterpiece. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork. He created you for a reason. Don't fall for the lie that you have to measure up to all the best spiritual people before you because God has called you uniquely to your purpose. You get to be the best you God created you to be and he will help you get there when we give him the time and the priority to come into our lives and accomplish it. For example, back in the day, now I know you guys can boo me, it's okay. I'm a huge Lakers fan. Thank you. Seattle doesn't even have a team. Okay. <laughs> Anymore. Someday. So I love the Lakers. Been a Lakers fan my entire life. I loved watching Shaquille O'Neal play. He was, you know, arguably the most dominant center ever to play the game by his sheer size alone. Be in the Hall of Fame. The man was just a beast to try and guard. Back in the day, 
he put out a rap CD called Shaq Fu. Some of you may have heard it. I did. I don't want to bash Achille O'Neal, but it was bad. There's a reason that he did not do any more. It was, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge rap person in general, but this was just horrible music. And it was, it was critically panned, it didn't do well, and it was funny seeing a man who, this man was created to play basketball. He dominated, he won championships, that was what he was supposed to do. He stepped out of what he was supposed to do and experimented in something else, and it didn't work. He was so obsessed with wanting to jump into a different genre, it started taking focus off of what he was created to do. And I think sometimes, how does it look when we get so obsessed when we're trying to do everything, right? You don't have to try and do, oh, now I have to do this. Now I have to do this. Someone else is excelling here, so now I have to excel there too. No, excel where God created you to excel. Because what you are going to excel in is not what everyone else is going to excel in. God's given that to you. Don't do everything. Don't compare where you are to where others are. Give it your best and let God show you his best. In their highest or lowest, the point is that you realistically approach God as you are and let him do an incredible work through you. In Mark 14, 8 through 9, Jesus is anointed by a woman with a very shady background. Some of the Pharisees who were sitting there, they start to listen and grumble about how much of a sinner this woman was and who is she to be approaching Jesus. And I love what Jesus says here. He says this, she has done what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I love that line. She did what she could. She wasn't at the level of the Pharisees with, with their scriptural knowledge. She didn't try to be with the Pharisees and their scriptural knowledge. She came in knowing this is what I get to bring to God. This is what I get to sit at the feet of Jesus. This is my offering. And Jesus says, this is how she'll be remembered because she gave me what she was created to give me right here. He doesn't call you to do what everyone else is doing. He tells you to do what you can, what he's created you to do. The third is this, the serial recommitter myth. The serial recommitter myth. I think uh, a lot of times in churches, um, sometimes even in pastors, we can fall into this myth sometimes, where as we mature in our faith, like I said, we have setbacks. We have times where we're going and, and, and we mess up, right? And uh, we, we know we shouldn't struggle in things. We know sometimes maybe I shouldn't mess up here, but, but we do. And we have this amazing moment where we say, I'm going to recommit my life to God. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've seen so many people recommit their life to God and amazing things have happened. But there, there's a, something that they do that I want to separate from just the, the words. Because there's a difference between the words and the actions. Um, I think one of the lies the devil can tell us in this moment is, oh, if you just tried harder or if you just made a recommitment, everything will change. Just, just stand up, recommit, and everything's fine. The lie here is not that you should ever recommit, because I'm a strong believer in recommitting your life to God, especially if you've gone through a season where you're like, I need to make a change, and I'm going to jump back in. But I strongly believe that when we take that huge step and recommit, there's actions that come with it. There, there's a transformation that has to happen. We'll talk about this transformation in just a second. But it's a good thing. Recommitment's a good thing, but it can be a lie if we think that it's not a transformation that comes with this action to say, God, I'm going to give you my all. I'm going to go for it. It's more than just words. Now, often in, um, here at church, you'll see me at the end of service. I'll give a challenge. I'll say, hey, here's some, here's some steps for us to go do, some steps to move forward and a way to apply what we've heard from Jesus, a chance to really respond to maybe what you've heard or what, what God has been saying to you. And I love it when people tell me, when I, when I get a text or an email saying, hey, you said practice this and I did this and this is what changed for me. I'll tell you, man, those things fuel my week. 
Those are the most encouraging, amazing things I can hear to know that someone is taking a step towards God and watching God respond to them. It's inspiring to me. It's so, so good. For many of us, though, sometimes we take these challenges, and it may not be the first time we're making it, but I don't want us to think that just because it's not the first time, it's not any more important. It may not be the first time, but if you make that step, let's follow through with it. Let's go through. I've seen people recommit, and what I want to say instead of recommit is don't just recommit, be transformed. Don't just recommit, be transformed. Let God transform your life. Listen to Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, Paul informs a group of believers that that their lives, their whole life should be worshiped to God, not just when they're singing, not just on Sundays from, you know, 10 to 11.30, Your life, this is your act of worship to God. And then in verse two, he gets a little practical with it. He says, first, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't, he says, follow in my way, not the world's way. Seek holiness, not selfishness or sin. Now, every one of us knows that we've struggled in some way or another with conforming to the world in every, in different aspects of our lives. And it's gonna be different for every person, right? But when we, we get bombarded every day with messages from the media, right? The media, coworkers, even sometimes our own minds that tell us to do something contrary to what we know scripture says to do. And then when we fall short, the devil's lie is that all we need to do is, is make that quick commitment to, to try harder next time. But this goes back to what we said earlier a few weeks ago. It's not about just trying, it's about training. Really train yourselves to follow God. Train yourselves in these spiritual disciplines and watch how when you don't, don't make not just a commitment, but when you say, I'm gonna be committed to transformation in my heart, transformation in my life, we get to see God do some transformational work, and it's all incredible things. Don't set yourselves up for failure and say, it's just the words. Let it be all-encompassing action. If we keep falling over and over and over again, or making just say, I'm just going to say the words, I'm just going to say the words, at some point we can come to the conclusion where we say, man, what's the point? I'm just going to fail. I've said the words, I've said it, I've said it, I've said it, but nothing happens. So let's just not say it. Let's take that step. Let's do it. I think some of our problems uh, when it comes to this, sometimes we only read the first half of Romans 12 too, but Paul gives the answer in the rest of the sentence. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can't commit ourselves to spiritual growth. We need to renew our minds to spiritual growth. And that happens when we intentionally take time to fill ourselves with God's wisdom, not just the world's wisdom. And there are different things we can do, some very practical ways to say, I'm gonna let this renew my mind. These are things I'm gonna do. So some examples for you. Replace some magazines that you may be, be hooked on for literature that draws you closer to God. Replace some of the magazines with some, some good, there's some amazing Christian authors out there who write incredible books that, that can really help inspire you, kind of like the, the clip we watched with the, the coach, right? You can read these books and feel, I feel now inspired to really move forward and change something. As a matter of fact, women, there is a, a book club that meets here at the church. Um, well, I don't know if it's here at the church. It is here at the church, Yes. 1 p.m., actually this Tuesday is their next meeting. They meet every four weeks and it's not too late to join. But maybe take some time and say, hey, instead of reading this, I'm gonna join this book club. Or if you don't have time for the book club, read something else, but read something, replace it with something from the, instead of using something from the world, replace it with something that's really gonna enhance your walk with God. Another thing, look closely at the people in your life who you've allowed to influence you. Does there need to be a change there? Maybe start, maybe surround yourself with someone and say, hey, 
this person, remember, not a comparison person, but an inspiring person. This person is really, I feel like they're really, really in tune. They, they have some really good spiritual habits. I want to hang around them more. I'm going to let them start to really inspire and let some of, some of that excitement and that passion kind of bleed into my life and see how that can then start transforming and shaping me to be inspired and move forward in my walk. Memorize scripture instead of the latest songs in the top 40. It's going to be a hard one because I love music. I love to listen to music. But, but at the same time, music has an incredible thing, doesn't it? Like you cannot hear a song for years, but what happens when those first bars play? You know all the words. They come flooding back. Put scripture into music maybe, but find a way to say, I'm going to let this be something that really, really infuses my life. And watch how the more we put the word into our heart, how the word then bleeds out of our heart with our days and actions. We get to start seeing God change you from the inside out. I love the last sentence in Romans 12 too. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Man, when we allow God the power, we give him the ability to say, renew my mind. He'll give you the understanding. He'll give you that good knowledge, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. And we'll be able to understand more of how he's shaping in us. And the last one is the early arrival myth. The early arrival myth. This is thinking that you've arrived at the destination, you've peaked, and you're done. Right? You said, all right, I put all my, put all my eggs in this basket for this month. I've peaked. I will never get there again. Call it the early arrival myth because your walk with God is not a destination. It is a journey. Your whole life, you are on this journey. You never get to get to a point where you say, learned it all, done it all, I've peaked out spiritually, I'm done. You'll never arrive too early. Keep going and moving forward. God has a perfect will for your life. He's uniquely shaped you and called you to live out the path that he has set for you. And I think the happiest people, the people that are filled with the most joy that I encounter are people that found out they are living in their sweet spot with God. Not that they've done it and that's all they ever have to do, but they know, hey, I'm in the sweet spot now, and the more I dive into God, the sweeter and sweeter it gets. And those people I get to encounter, and they're full of joy, and it just pours out of their hearts. And I love it. I love hanging out with people that are just so infused with the joy of God. This should never be an excuse for not growing spiritually, though. We don't want to say we've peaked and we've stopped. It's unhealthy to constantly compare our spirituality to others. It doesn't mean get comfortable. I think if we get complacent, that's the enemy of progress. John 10.10 says this, and it's all about being prepared for these moments of complacency where the enemy can start filling you with these lies. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and live it to the full or the fullest. God wants us, and I, I know that I, so I have two kids, and I want them to have the most full life, to, to, to love life. To, I, I, someone asked me, what do you want for your kids? I said, first and foremost, I want them to love Jesus with every fiber of their being. And they said, then what else do you want to say? I want them to, to just have more than I could ever provide for them. I want them to be successful and to thrive in life. And I think that, that God wants us, when it comes to our walk with him, he wants us to have more than we even think is possible. He wants us to live to the fullest, to his fullest for each and every one of us. And I, I think we can't fall into the lie that it's okay to coast at times, to think, I'm just kind of cruising. I'm, I'm in an okay place. I think at those moments we need to say, all right, God, what can I do to vamp this up? What can I do to say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really up my game spiritually here. I'm going to grow deeper and, and really, really dive into what you have for me. I don't want to fall into such a rhythm that I never explore all the other ways that we can encounter God with. There are dozens of spiritual disciplines that, that we've mentioned, things that you can do to grow in your walk with God um, that I think, you know, all of them are worth trying out. If you would have asked me when I lived in California, would my wife ever go on a hike and experience God's glory just through a hike? I would have said, no, when is Jesus coming back? 
that's not happening. Since moving up here, she has become an avid hiker. She loves, yeah, yeah, woo. <laughs> but she loves to go on hikes, and a lot of it is we get to see what some, someone actually told me not that long ago. They said, I see the mountain every day. I don't care anymore. For us Californians that came up here, when we drive and we see the mountain, that's the most beautiful thing. And the fact that we get to go walk on that mountain or walk on trails around here that we didn't have necessarily where we grew up, it is a whole new way to experience God's glory. I, I went out with uh, Pastor Chris not that long ago. We went fishing, and he took us to one of his favorite spots. And I don't know exactly where it is, but we were up high just looking out, and we could see just mountains all over the place. And it was just like, for me, I look at that, and I think, man, when I look at this, there's no way this is an accident. This is amazing. This is God's beauty. And for moments like that, for me, I'm like, man, I get to have an incredibly spiritually growing moment with God just looking at his creation. Now, having said that, that's me. That's not everyone. Some people, when I said my wife wouldn't be caught dead hiking, you probably thought, that's right, don't do it, don't cave. That's okay. There are lots of other ways you get to grow in your spiritual disciplines, but there are so many. Don't ever get to a point where you think, no, not for me, not for me. Try them out. Find out what you can do to experience God's glory, God's beauty, and how God can challenge you to dive in and grow. It'll be different for a lot of people, but then it's really fun when you find someone who does the same thing that you do, and you get to dive in with them, and you get to grow together. Paul was incredibly wise, and he hit a level of spiritual maturity that was something to be admired. This is what he said to a group of believers in Philippi. He said this in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. As I read this, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. But Paul says this. Not that I have obtained, already obtained all this or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Man, it's, it's not healthy to compare ourselves to others, but how about compare yourself to yourself? Compare yourself to yourself. Look at yourself. Look at where you're at. Is the fruit of the Spirit more alive in you than it was last year? Do you feel, do, do love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, self-control, do these flow out of you more naturally? Are you more patient with your spouse? Are you more patient with your kids? Are you more generous with your money and your resources? Are you more giving? Are you becoming more and more of a person of peace instead of always being stressed out? And believe me, right now and today with what's going on in the world, it is easy to be full of anxiety and stressed out. I think when we use ourself as a barometer, we say, all right, here's where I was, here's where I am, here's where I know God wants me to be, then we can start finding that inspiration in the word, in scripture, through people, through each other, to get to that point where you say, God wants to take me here, and we get to go for it. Be prepared for the lies. Be prepared for the temptations. Be prepared for the myths. Don't let a lie derail you. Let that lie inspire you to say, nope, you're going to remember forever the day that you faced me and my God. Would you all stand with me? <clears throat> I hope that as, as you heard this today, maybe you were able to pinpoint a myth or a question that maybe has hit you and you say, you know what, that, that one was me. Maybe that's, that's something that's gone through my head. And you get to use that now as motivation to say, this is why I get to trust God. This is why I know he gets to grow me and do something amazing through me. We're going, to continue, we're going to continue to pursue growing to be more and more like Jesus. Remember, he's the one that's gone before us. He invites us to run with him. He is far better than an ice chest and a cold towel and a 130-degree day in front of a truck. He can sustain you through the hardest times. And when he shows us the amazing plan for our lives, 
man, we won't end up miles away being airlifted out in a ditch. We'll be leading the way for others, saying this is what God is doing. Come with me and let's go. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are an incredible inspiration. God, right now I pray if there's anybody here that's going through any one of these myths or any one of these lies where they hear that voice saying, you're not good enough. You don't have enough time. You know what? Just quit. It's not worth it. God, I rebuke those in the name of Jesus. God, those lies have no place in our hearts and our minds. They are not what fuels us. You are what fuels us. And you want so many amazing things for each and every person here. God, I pray that as we go forward with our life, as we go forward um, spiritually and we dive in to grow, we're inspired. We're motivated to put you first and see how you can work in our hearts. So God, we give you today, we give you our lives, and we're excited to see what you're going to do in us and through us. We thank you, we love you. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.